Well, we are in Acts chapter 14. I'm trying not to get bogged down in a book that I love very much. I want to kind of make pace to go through that. And I hope that each Sunday you'll come and consider reading the next chapter, chapter 15, next week. And we'll kind of stay on track on that as best we can, unless the Lord kind of interrupts us and asks us to stay a little longer. I love the book of Acts. It's a book of transition. It's a book of action. Acts of the Apostles is what it's named, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of His believers. And of course, the New Testament has 27 books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John speak to us about the life of Jesus. The book of Acts speaks about the life of the Lord Jesus through His Spirit in the lives of believers in the early church. It's a history of the early church. And when we come to Acts chapter 14, there's been numbers of years now since Jesus went back to heaven, since Pentecost, and, and now there has been uh, the adversary of the local church, Apostle Paul, whose name was Saul of Tarshish, has now been arrested by the Lord, and uh, he has gone away for several years of re-indoctrination and getting, his, uh, getting his, his, uh, his heart right with the Lord and understanding a different perspective, spending time with the Lord in Arabia and Damascus and back in his hometown of Tarshish. And then Barnabas comes and gets him and brings him to a church of Antioch. Antioch is about 250, 275 miles north of uh, Jerusalem. And it was there that God kind of moved, it seems like, the headquarters of world missions into that church. I want you to see the map real quickly, just kind of help us understand what we're looking at, if we can, please. As you can see, I mentioned uh, Antioch on the right side. Jerusalem is about 250 miles south of that. And now there's a large group of people. Matter of fact, the Christians were first called Christians at the church of Antioch up north there. Well, there are five movers and shakers in that local church, and God called two of, the, two of them, Saul and Barnabas, to lead that church under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. And with prayer and fasting, they laid hands on them, financed them, and sent them away on the first of Paul's four missionary journeys. In this journey, you can see there how they take, they go down to Seleucia, and they purchase a ticket, and they take a, a ship from Seleucia down to Salmaeus. That is on the island of Cyprus. And then they work their way through that whole island, preaching the gospel in their cities and villages until they get down to Paphos. Down in Paphos, they make their way up to modern-day Turkey, where you see Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Pergia, that, Fergia, that is Turkey today. And uh, that's where the, the land of Turkey, I'm glad we have missionaries there. Aren't you glad that people are still taking the gospel to that place? They go up to Pergia, and we find that this is all uh, laid out for us in, the, in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. And now they go up to Antioch of Poseida. Now that's, of course, two Antiochs, but it'd be like having two different towns named after each other, like there's a Long Beach, California, there's a Long Beach, New York, okay? It's two cities in two different locations. And here we have there in Antioch of Poseida. They go there and uh, they're, uh, they, they preach there. They don't do any miracles of such, but they do proclaim the word of God to the folks there. And now uh, they have, they've got some threats and some challenges. They dust their feet off and uh, dust their feet off and say, you know what? If you don't want to hear it, that's fine. Uh, we're going to the next place. And now they make their way about 40 miles down to Iconium. And that's what we're going to pick up in chapter 14 today, Iconium. And then in that same chapter 14, they will go down to Lystra. 
which is about 18 miles south of there and then 40 miles over to Derby. Uh, some of these areas, they don't go willingly. They go because they ran out of town. Actually, Lystra, he is stoned there. We'll see that in chapter 14. And then after he is stoned and brought back to life, I think that's the time that he actually did die. They, everyone thought he died, and he was brought back to life. And then, uh, then the next day, travels over to Derby, 40 miles. How about that? Being stoned one day, getting up and walking next day. Would anyone say that might be a miracle? <laughs> Probably so. Derby, and then we'll see in chapter 14, he makes his way all the way back to those cities again. Where he got stoned, he went back there. And uh, he ministered and, and uh, confirmed the Christians. He went up to Iconium and then went back to Antioch, down to, to Atalia. And then Atalia, he sails back to Antioch, where he will give a report to the church that sent him away. So that's just a little bit of help. I hope it'll give you a little bit of a, just a little perspective on that. We're looking at Acts chapter 14. And today I want to talk to you and just remind you of attributes of spirited missions and ministry. The same things that they went through, you and I go through in different ways. And I want to talk to you about a few of those things. Once again, the reason as we go through the book of Acts, we're thinking about this is almost 2,000 years ago this took place. And yet, it reads like yesterday's paper. Um, it just is, it's just as relative today as it was then. Aren't you glad that the Bible is like that way? I'm sure one day someone will read Louis L'Amour, Agatha Christie, and say, this is dumb. This doesn't even relate to us. What is all this? But you'll never look at the Bible like that. It's deeper than the bottom of the well, and it's relative to all ages and all languages, and anyone who reads it. While you read the Bible, guess what? The Bible starts reading you. It starts reading you. And uh, Mark Twain, who rejected the Lord as his Savior, as far as we know, said, it's not what I don't understand about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand about the Bible that bothers me. And what he was experiencing while he was reading the Bible, the Bible was reading him. And it brings conviction. And the Bible says the Word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than the two-edged sword. And it pierces. It doesn't just meddle with you. It, it, it cuts you. It's sharp. And it deals with your innermost being. And I'm so glad it dealt with me so I would get saved, aren't you? I was listening to a precious lady who was sitting here for our Christmas program on the 12th of December. And she said, well, I sat there. I realized that I needed to be saved, that I had had a baptism, but that baptism didn't save me. I needed, I needed to know what it was like to have my sins forgiven. I needed what it was like to be saved and know for sure I'm saved. And she was in discipleship this morning. Isn't that a blessing? And she, she said it with tears. She said, I just I was overwhelmed thinking that I could know I'm saved and I could have this burden of sin lifted off of me. And you know why that happened? Not because of a person, but because of the Scriptures that led her to the person of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that we're sinners, that we need Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus, and, and we can avoid the judgment to come. And I'm so glad that whenever you hear the word of God, it has an effect. And I'm thankful for that. All right, let's look at chapter, chapter 14, verse number 1. Would you follow along with me? This is a Bible-believing church, and I would encourage you to bring your Bible. My preference would be to get a book. 
the Bible says in, the, in, the, in things to come, they open the book, not the iPad, okay? And so I think it would be good to get a good book and, and love your Bible. I have it on my phone. I have it on my iPad. But my favorite way to read the Bible is in a book. And uh, get it, and, and the battery never goes dead or anything like that. It works out real good like that, and it's just good. All right, here we go. Enough meddling. Let's get to something that really matters here. Okay, verse number 1 of chapter 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together. This is Paul and Barnabas now. John Mark has already left them, and so they're going to the next cities. And they go, and they so spake. In such a way, that word so is a small word, but it means in, they spake in such a way. And I don't think, the Bible tells it wasn't with eloquence. It wasn't with their wisdom of their words or their eloquence or a fancy way. They spoke with obvious clarity and with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's how they spoke. And by the way, that's how you ought to speak. You don't need to, you don't, you, I think it's good to practice on how to share the gospel with someone, but you don't have to be extremely talented to get people the gospel of Christ. You need to, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you and be familiar with the word of God and with the plan of salvation. But that's what they did. They kept repeating the same gospel wherever they went. Boy, you and I ought to do the same thing. Let's look at the next verse, if you would, please. They so spake to the great multitudes, both of the Jews and also the Greeks believed. So they had numbers of people who heard it and accepted it. But would you look at verse number two, the unbelieving Jews in that area, and there was a large contingency, maybe not as large as Antioch and Poseida, but in Iconium, they had a, they had a large group of Jews that were there, and they stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected. They poisoned the people who had received uh, the truth of God's word against the brethren. They poisoned them against uh, Paul and Barnabas and the teaching that they had. I wonder what that's trying to tell us today. You think there are people who try to poison people against the word of God? Yeah, there are that. Um, I just want to remind you, friends, that uh, God's serving in God's work is obstacle laden. There are lots of obstacles. When you're trying to witness to people, you're trying to do the right thing, you can just count on it. You're going to have some opposition and some obstacles. And sometimes they come in places of persons. Sometimes they come in, in demonic activity, satanic activity. Sometimes they come within even the own body of Christ that people who are not right with God are used as pawns in Satan's hands to stir up, to accuse the brethren, to, to cause issues and problems within the body of believers. Uh, the devil is not a respecter of persons. He'll use whoever will let him. And I don't ever be upon his, on his chessboard. Do you? certainly want to be someone who is always used to help the gospel and not hinder it in any way. But uh, certainly there are some problems here. Verse number nine, or verse number, excuse me, verse number three. That went fast, didn't it? I want you to notice the first two words. What's the first two words? Long time. Okay, so they already had opposition crazy going on, and still a long time, therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord which gave testimony into the word of his grace. I like to underline that word, word of his grace. What do you think that means, the word of his grace? It's the gospel. He said they, they spoke the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders. They did do special apostolic and special gifts that were given to them during this time that really attracted the attention, especially the Jews. Anytime you see signs and gifts in the Bible, you'll find Jews present. 
Anytime someone was given the ability to speak in an unknown tongue, Jews were present. Because the Bible tells us in the book, and he clarifies that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, the Jews require a sign or a miracle. And uh, you and I as Gentiles, that was not the case. But oftentimes, whenever there were Jews present, God would give the ability to do miracles. Matter, matter of fact, you might remember a Jew of Jew, Nicodemus. Whenever he heard Jesus and he approached him that night, he said, we know that you, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that comes from who? God. Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest. What were the miracles? The miracles are validation that he was truly the Messiah. He was truly from God. And Jews required something because they had all kinds of crackpot teachers and prophets and Messiah's wannabes that showed up. And they couldn't, they couldn't do the miracles when Jesus did it. And then when the followers of Jesus, like Peter and John did, whenever they healed the crippled man at the gate, beautiful. And, and here we're going to see that, that uh, in, the, in this interim period, while we waited for the word of God that I believe speaking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there were special miracles given. And these signs and wonders certainly were confirmation to any Jewish heart in particular that this was the true gospel from the Lord. Let's continue if we can, please. So they, they continued there a long time with signs and wonders had done by their hands. And the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part held with the apostles. I want you to notice there, what were the first two words of, of verse number three? They stayed there a long time. Now, how long is the long? I don't know. I have read several different accounts of that, and they think it's at least six months in this one town. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it just tells us a long time. And you know, this is kind of interesting to me, they didn't stay there a long time because of the success. They stayed there because of the difficulties. You know, this reminds me that every field brings a different yield. I love to hear the testimonies I heard this morning from, from uh, Peru and Brother Faust. And when you hear about 400 people getting saved in their services, 57 getting saved, or going to a pastor's conference where they have lots of people, you know not every report is filled with that many Wonderful numbers. Occasionally a missionary serving the Lord in Estonia, in Bulgaria, in, in Turkey, in, uh, in Yemen, or if someone was working in Dubai, they might have three people saved in a whole month. They might have a really, a, they have a meeting and there's three pastors instead of 45 pastors coming. They might not have the same the same thing. But aren't you glad that God is the same God in every location? He's doing something. He's doing something. And sometimes people stay. And so oftentimes I've heard people say, well, we're not, nothing's happening here, so we're going to leave. You know what they were happening here? A lot of things were happening, but a lot of difficulties were happening. They didn't stay there a long time because of the success. They stayed there because of the difficulties. And the difficulties taking place in discipling new believers. You know, there is, you can't leapfrog time when you're trying to make an impact on others. You're going to have to have time. And it takes time and it takes tenacity. It takes determination. It takes sacrifice. It takes cost and energy and effort. No one's going to be a very successful Christian on spare time and pocket change. It's going to take some difficulty. Some of us are not willing to pray the price, not willing to pay the price. 
And the reason why we limp through life and we're going to stand before God one day and He'll pat us on the head, we have eternal life, but we have not been faithful is because we do not put the time. Someone said, boy, it takes time to be holy. Who's willing to take the time? Make time to be holy. It takes time to read your Bible. It takes time to pray. It takes time to witness. It takes time to disciple people. I would to God that more of us would take the time. And they a long time stood in a place. And after they stood there a long time, there was a division. The Bible says some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. Can I just remind you, there's always the case. When you preach the word of God, you're going to have some that will side with the adversary. Others will side with the wonderful advocate, Jesus Christ. But you're going to have that. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 34, as he was approaching and talking to people, he said, look, if you think I came to bring peace, you got the wrong thought. I came to bring a sword. And the truth of the matter is, when people truly serve the Lord Jesus Christ, where there will be a commitment, there will be friction. And there will be division. He said, sometimes I'll divide father and son. I'll sometimes divide husband and wife. Sometimes they'll put a division between uh, family members and those in their own house and others at work that just all of a sudden, just on the sole purpose of, of a commitment to Jesus Christ. He said there was a division, and that is one attribute that you and I have to understand. It's not a positive attribute in some ways, but it is in other ways. And that is that the gospel and the word of God in a ministry that is spirited getting the gospel out will face division. There'll be folks that just won't, won't understand that. And it happened here, and it'll happen in your life and my life. Would you, if you would, please look at verse number five. And when there arose an assault, made both of the Gentiles who sided with the Jews and of the Jews and their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them to try to kill them, they were aware of it. They made aware of the fact that there was a, there was a ploy to hurt them physically. And they fled to Lystra and Derbe and the cities of Lyconia and to the region that lieth about. So we talked about that. While they were in Iconium, now there has been a ploy and a plot made to bring hurt on Paul and Barnabas. And when they heard of it, they said, you know what, it's probably for us to move on. And they moved down 18 miles south to the city of Lystra. Now, the city of Lystra doesn't look like there are very many Jewish people there. They're mostly Gentiles, and they're pagan in their worship. But the Lord sends them down these 18 miles, and wherever they went, notice what happens in verse number 7. Would you read it with me? And there they, by the way, wherever you should go, should you preach the gospel? On vacation? On an airplane? At work? Yeah, don't use your work hours to do it, but uh, you, ought to, you ought to be thinking. You spend more time at work in your adult life than you will almost any place else. It ought to be a place where you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel without having your boss pay for it at the time. Look for opportunities in which you can influence people for the gospel. We have some good men here today and some ladies who are here because someone at their workplace loved them and cared about them and trying to get the gospel of Christ to their hearts and lives. That ought to happen. But they went, wherever they went... Under good circumstances or bad circumstances, they preached the gospel. Look at verse 8, would you please? The Bible tells us there, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent or helpless, uh, powerless in his feet. He could not walk, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. And the same heard Paul speak, who, 
steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw that Paul had what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying, Read the rest of that with me, would you please? In the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. This is interesting. So Paul is preaching in this city of Lystra, which doesn't seem to have a synagogue or a large Jewish population, unsaved Gentiles there. And there he's preaching. And while he's preaching, there's one guy sitting who has his feet are crippled. He cannot walk. And he looks at Paul intently. And Paul sees him seemingly in his message and says, I want you to stand up and walk. It's interesting. Usually a pastor can tell when someone's listening. I can't always tell when someone's sleeping. I've had people every week come to me and say, Pastor, I'm sorry I fell asleep. So please don't tell me that. I don't need to know that. Bless your heart. If I listened to me, I'd fall asleep too. Man, I tell people, man, just I'm better than a sleeping pill. Just come. Hundreds of people successfully fall asleep every Sunday morning. It's under my care. And I feel like I could be a doctor on insomnia. All right. Nonetheless, I can't always, but usually a pastor can tell when somebody's listening. Paul could tell this guy was locked on to him. He said, you can't walk, can you? He says, no. He said, why don't you stand up and walk? And the Lord healed this guy. He didn't just stand up and walk. He leaped and, and yelled and hollered and went on about, and he was excited about that. And everybody there in that pagan community were just blown away. However, then they started talking in a language that Paul did not know, the speech of the Lyconians. They started talking among themselves, and Paul and Barnabas are trying to probably get the gospel out, but somebody in that, in that thing, they said, you know what? This might be Jupiter. This might be Mercury. This, these are the Greek gods have come down to visit us because we know this guy. He's never walked his entire life, and he's jumping around. And the miracle uh, of there were Jews there, and there were Gentiles there, no doubt, for the miracle to take place, but it wasn't, it was a, it was a challenge, and nonetheless, he's up jumping around, going crazy, and and uh, they start saying in an unknown tongue to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas say, well, good, Lord's given us something here. We're going to be able to give the gospel. Before they know it, the priests of this foreign language, this foreign religion now, are, they've got a big old oxen and they've got garland all over the place. And they're taken to the temple or to the gate of Jupiter to start s- sacrificing to Paul and Barnabas. Well, they don't know what's going on. They can't understand that language. But then all of a sudden they realize what was taking place. And he probably is asking, hey, what's going on? I say, oh, man, you're Jupiter and you're Mercury because you're the talker. And everybody's looking at oh, come on, man, we're going to have a sacrifice and we're going to do offerings for you. Well, that hit the fan real quickly. Paul said, no, 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 you can't do that. That's not right. And notice what happens. If you would please continue on, if you would please, to uh, verse number 14. And when... Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, what did they do? They tore their clothes. That was a Jewish expression of humility. Uh, gotta, I, if I if just taken and started tearing their clothes, pulling the buttons off, pulling, striping, tearing their clothes apart. It was like, hey, man, this is something we wear to church. If someone started starting to tear their clothes of a nice garment, he said they started tearing their clothes and they got their attention. As they started tearing their clothes uh, in front of them, they rent their, their, their clothes and they ran among the people and they cried out. What did they cry out? They said, sirs, 
Why do ye do these things? Why, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and, and preach unto you all that would be turned from these vanities as emptiness of religion into the living God which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things therein. Who in times pass all nations to walk in their own ways. Look at verse number 17. I love it. Read it with me. Nevertheless, he left not himself without and gave us rain from heaven and fruit, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, uh, these sayings, scarcely restrained they the people that they had not done the sacrifice unto them. So whenever they thought that there needs to be a, that they were going to do, and they found out what was going on, they quickly ran and said, no, 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 no. No, we're, we're men just like you. We're not gods. By the way, oftentimes in mission fields, there's preconceived ideas that people have that are unique that you and I would think, oh, silly. I don't think most of us would ever consider praying to a tree or to an animal or to a carved out thing. That's not something, but well, that is so normal for much of the world. And they had got this in their mind and these people set them straight. Paul and Barnabas, they had to convince them. And I think it's beautiful because they go back to creation. You ever wonder why creation's under assault in our educational system? Why the theory of evolution, which is really, you'd have to be a little bit crooked to even think about and believe that. That something blew up. Where did something start from? Well, the big, you know, cosmic soup. Where did it come from? Who made the cosmic soup? When this happened, and all of a sudden just blew up, and everything comes to order from a blow-up. That'd be like saying, my watch, that's how it came about. So it blew up, and all of a sudden it came together. No, and whenever we see the world as we see it, we understand it has a maker. And he took them back to the God of the Bible. He doesn't seem to give them the entire gospel here. I'm sure he does, but he said, in all of life, he says, uh, he says God has left himself a witness in creation, in conscience, in circumstances, he left a witness through the scriptures, through Christ, through the calendar, all through mankind. God has got, he's got a witness inside of you. He's the light, the life, every man cometh into the world. He says, God's never left. If you ever say to someone, you want to think, well, you'll hear this oftentimes. Well, what about all the people in the world who never even heard the name of Jesus? I will tell you this, that may be true, but they have a witness inside of them. There is light inside of them, and there's nobody. The Bible says the whole world will stand without excuse. Now, you can take and choose what you believe, or you can choose what God believes. But God will not, he, no man will be able to stand and point his face at God and say, it's your fault, I'm in hell forever. No. God has lit, he's lit you up, if you will. He's, he's revealed himself through creation, and I've already said this, through conscience, through circumstance and consequences of life, through the scriptures, through Christ, through even the calendar if someone wants to know why in the world is 2022, we can go back to a person, Jesus Christ. Go back to the birth of the Lord Jesus and, the, and what God did in sending his son Jesus to die for us. I need to hasten, but I will tell you this, that what happened in chapter 14, they, they were there and God, God that, that happened. And then the Jews that were in the other places of Antioch, they made their way down, that posse of people. And they came down and stirred the people. And the people changed their minds. Some people no, no doubt did. And they took them outside of the streets of, this, of Lystra from Iconium down to Lystra. They came that 18 miles and they took him out and they stoned him and left him for dead. No doubt the people of the city thought he was dead. 
No doubt the people of Lystra thought he was dead. Among those people of Lystra were probably a little grandmother named Lois, her daughter named Eunice, and a young boy named Timothy. I think they could have been right there and crying as they were mourning the loss of the man who led them to Jesus Christ in that city of Lystra. Then all of a sudden, the Lord miraculously raises him up. They go back into the same city, and then the next day, Paul and Barnabas go to Derby from there. And they begin to minister there. God does some wonderful things. And then after they finish with all that, they come back to that very city of Lystra, and they confirm the souls. They encourage people. They set up pastors. And then they go back to Iconium, and then up to Antioch, and then down to Ferga, and then they make their way to the, to the, on the ship, and they go back to their home church of Antioch, and you'll have to read the rest of it on your own. But I want to share with you a couple thoughts real quickly in closing. Number one, remember that one, one attribute of spirit-filled ministry is division. Another one is diversity. Diversity. Things happen different in different places. In one place, a posse came after them, a, a plot was made, and God delivered them. In another place, he allowed them to stone him and, and leave him for dead. You know, I don't exactly know why that, and, and trials come in seasons, they come for reasons. Some places, they receive the, the word with great joy. Other places, there's more, and, there's more of a riot than a revival. I don't know exactly, and those are things we let God take care of, but he Oftentimes you see that every place and every situation and every season is somewhat different. I think it's good for mature Christians to understand that. And there are some things about God you're not, you can't read Acts chapter 14 and figure it all out. That's my, that's, my, that's my opinion. If you figure it all out, you can meet me later and we can talk about it in the millennium, okay? Because uh, it's not going to have enough time now. However, there's a lot of things in the Bible when you read the Bible that are not always clear. And by the way, I'm glad that God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts and our thoughts. And some things are left best to let God show you when he wants to show you exactly why things are happening. That's why I think in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible tells us, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. And when he comes, he'll reveal the hidden works of darkness and the real motives of people's hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Sometimes when you can't figure things out, don't you're not alone. A lot of people have been there. We can trust God in the dark of times. The diversity. I want you to notice the determination. Trying times are not a time to keep trying or stop trying. <laughs> they had to have some determination to continue on and go to the next town and then go back and confirm and disciple other people. Discipleship's another attribute of spirited ministry, helping people grow. And I think there's four elements. There's three elements at see, for sure. And one of it is confirming the souls. Would you look at that real quickly for the sake of Bible students? Verse 22, read it with me. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in faith, pass through much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. He says, as we wait to enter, there's going to be tribulation. But we see three elements. Number one, con confirming the souls exhorting people, and then lastly, organizing. Look at the next verse. Next verse, if you would please, in verse number 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed and fasting, boy, I like those are two things we oftentimes miss today, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. We see confirmation, we see exhortation, and we see organization. 
And by the way, there are men in this room, you ought to be in the Bible Institute on Tuesday night because God has got a calling upon your life. And you need to be preparing. There are some folks, God's doing something. There are some girls in this room. God's got his hand on your husband. There's something God wants for him, and one day he's going to be in charge of a body of believers, whether it be in a Sunday school class or a bus captain or a church someplace, and you need to get prepared for it. And the Apostle Paul, he spent time confirming, he spent time exhorting, and then he spent time organizing. And once he did that in all the places of the people that he had led to Christ, he made his, back, made his way back to the home church of Antioch. And we see a description of all that God did. Let's read it in inclusion, if we can, please. The last verse, verse number 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church of Antioch together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And that how he had opened the door of what? Unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the... I love to hear from missionaries, don't you? It's what they did. They, they got their missionary back home. And they said, tell us all that God did. And they walked about there, all the wonderful things. They didn't tell. Maybe they did have to tell them about the stoning and about the beatings and about the challenges and the arrest and, and the opposition. But they made sure to tell them about the door of faith that was open to people who needed the gospel. And that's something everybody ought to get excited about, don't you think?